Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, a Business Examiner News Group podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode's special guest is the Executive Director of the Pacific Prosperity Network. You may recognize the organization's name from a Vancouver Sun article covering Lululemon founder Chip Wilson's involvement. Our interview covers the organization's focus on municipal and federal elections in British Columbia, the development of a free enterprise voice across the province, and much more. Our conversation starts now. I am Micah Hanks. I'm the executive director and founder of the Pacific Prosperity Network. We're a BC uh, nonprofit that has a mandate to support uh, local business, pro-business, what I refer to as the free enterprise wing of you know, the political spectrum, of which there are very few participants. So we're kind of a, a first mover in this space. And um, you know, we're working with council candidates and aspiring council candidates in the lead up to the October 15th election. And then we've got a much bigger, broader uh, mandate beyond that. But that's sort of what we're focused on now. Okay, awesome, Micah. Well, I've been excited to have you on for a while. I came across your name specifically, I think, from the Chip Wilson article in the Vancouver Sun um, within the past month or so. And I've been really appreciative that your organization would step up and take on these efforts uh, as there is a bit of a missing voice. So jumping into some of the questions here, I want to talk a little bit about free enterprise advocacy in BC. And and you touched on the municipal elections coming up uh, in October. And I'm wondering if you can just give kind of a high level view of kind of the role that uh, political, uh, provincial political parties and organized labor play in shaping uh, these elections and picking candidates. I know some of it's done behind the scenes, but there's kind of this knowledge that there is a, a fairly hands-on approach from these organizations. Yeah, for sure. And what I refer to the system that the NDP has on the left is what I refer to as the farm team system. And this is sort of where you've got municipal, provincial, and federal jurisdictions, and they almost vertically integrate in the sense that the provincial NDP, being the same constitutionally as the federal NDP, they share their resources, so their training, their software, their lists, uh, volunteers, with their farm team um, candidates, so with municipal council uh, council candidates that they'd like to have on, they almost see it as like a training ground. So they're heavily involved with respect to um, making those investments at the civic level, getting somebody from the left onto a school board or a city council where they will do a term or two. And then what happens is that they'll graduate that candidate, that city councilor, that school board trustee to that next political arena, that next political jurisdiction, provincially or federally, and then they strategically backfill that spot. And so they maximize their return on investment. That person gets to bring their name recognition, their goodwill, their volunteers, their their donors, their data, um, everything with them. And so they maximize the investment that they make at the civic level, and that system has served them well for a couple decades now. And we have, frankly, no like no leg to stand on. There's no focus. Uh, provincially, there's the BC Liberal Party, which is a coalition of federal conservatives and federal liberals. Um, so there's obviously no data, data sharing there for fear of you know being at odds in a different um, jurisdiction. So we just don't have the same infrastructure and resources to share 
with our pro-business city council candidates that we'd like to support. And so that's where we step in. We've developed the software. We have a training regimen, which is really basic, but it focuses on the fundamentals of a campaign, um, voter identification, finding out who likes you, who doesn't like you. And the whole point of a campaign is, you know, trying to figure out, you know, who you don't need to talk to and who you do need to make sure gets out and votes for you. So when you're running for city council, you're in the wilderness, right? And we're trying to come in, help our pro-business or free enterprise uh, leaning candidates because we think that they can have a lot, a lot of success if they just basically focus on the, the fundamentals and have a little bit of help. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to hear that. And I think it's, yeah, I would say a breath of fresh air because you kind of see in the headlines, especially when budget time comes around, kind of like this never-ending infinite stream of property tax increases. And in most municipalities, there's always exceptions, but a burdening of the business class, um, a disproportionate burdening of the business uh, community. So very, very pleased to hear that. I'm wondering too, you've kind of touched on the follow-up question about kind of the feeder system that is set up, but I'm wondering if you can maybe talk about how you're sourcing candidates for this free enterprise movement. Is there discussions about collab? connecting slates as you're seeing in some different municipalities, just kind of wondering kind of how, where the approach and that that selection process is happening. Totally. Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, as you know, um, from having been around it and involved with it, the grassroots political kind of community is really small, especially if you look at sort of Metro Vancouver or the Island, you know, the same people that are on every campaign are sort of, you know, household names in certain writings or areas. And, from my experience in politics in BC over the last six or seven years, we have been able to get a pulse on all of the major areas that we're working in. And quickly on that, we're working in areas that would be deemed provincial and federal target areas or target ridings. And so the municipalities we're working in kind of fall into those um, sort of, let's say, 10 ridings or 10 uh, uh, municipal uh, locations. And for the most part, we're working with people that we already know, right? People I've campaigned with, people that I know are campaign managers or the same running as candidates or friends of friends. So it's a very small network. Um, I think on both sides, the left and the right. And so it's pretty easy for us to work with like-minded individuals across Metro Vancouver just by kind of word of mouth. Prior to the news from a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were working, you know, really well under the radar um, for the last year. Right. It's just the recent attention that's kind of blown up our profile and the work that we're doing and, and you know how important it is. So awesome. I want to ask you a little bit about maybe the platform um, or the priorities for the organization this year. You've talked about uh, the municipal elections coming up. Are you kind of going on case by case for each kind of campaign and candidate, or is there a set of priorities uh, in terms of this free inter- you know free enterprise priorities? Yeah, so um, I, I break it down to a couple things. You know, we have um, a variety of kind of services that we offer. Primarily, we have developed our own software, um, which is a campaign management software. It allows you to import a list of voters, voter ID that list, which you then later mobilize on election day. Um, with that comes training and then uh, consultation. We're happy to look at historical data look at your slate, look at the actual um, landscape of political candidates in your area. And we've got experts who can essentially say, hey, look, you know, based on the amount of people running, um, past turnout, uh, what, you, what you could expect. And 
we work with them then to establish targets. How many people should you identify of your total vote share? How do you do that? So that's really the core work that we're doing between now and October. We also are really an advocate or an advocacy group for just better better conditions in which businesses can thrive, uh, provincially and federally. So in September, we'll have a new Conservative Party uh, leader. And I, just full disclosure, leaning heavily towards Pierre Polyev becoming the next leader of the uh, Federal Conservative Party. We will throw our full weight behind supporting him. So once municipals are done, what we can do, which is also much like what the left has on their side with ENGOs being able to run advocacy campaigns about the environment or you know indigenous rights and all these things that they use to identify sort of progressive voters, ENGOs are spending millions, sometimes like Dogwood, spending $2 million in an election year um, or lead now, right? Uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in an election cycle to identify progressive voters and get them out for whoever they're supporting, whether it be Trudeau or the NDP potentially or what have you. So we will shift from a municipal focus after the federal leaders elected and we'll throw our weight behind them in running advocacy and issue-based campaigns in all of these strategic areas to establish our own list of free enterprise voters who then we can engage with, we can mobilize in support of a government that will actually pursue a policy path that's more conducive to free enterprise and, um, and that. So that's sort of our you know, short-term and then kind of medium-term focus, but we'll be doing between now and October, and then in October and beyond. So in 2017, we had the, provincially, we had NDP and Green collaborating to remove the union and corporate donations from provincial politics. However, and I would say this is anecdotal information just from my own experience or my own relationships throughout the, the province, there is a perception that some of the political parties who made these legislation changes have workarounds for bringing in volunteers from organizations that support them. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit, things that you've seen, opportunities for free enterprise supporters to do the same, and just kind of if you have some general thoughts about that. Yeah, there's this longstanding perception that is, I would say, um, like, you know, it's a for sure thing. It's definitely happening where unions are more or less mobilized to support the pro-union you know, party, which has been the NDP, at least provincially. Um, and I have been on the campaign trail provincially where I've seen union workers uh, 10 or 12 at a time who show up to, you know, whoever's campaign office and they spend the day. Now, you know, are the rules being appared, uh, applied fairly, sorry, um, where they should not be paid? They have to be on their own time. They're technically volunteering. Um, that's definitely one way that I've noticed anecdotally. It, it definitely, there is a presence. You don't see a similar business association, you know, getting all of their employees who aren't working that day to come out and help the pro-business uh, candidate or the pro-business party. So there's not necessarily a level playing field there. You know, what you also see from the unions, like in 2018 in Vancouver, where they actually work to consolidate the candidates on the left. So Vision had a, can- had a, had a candidate who backed out. Um, it ended up only being just that Kennedy Stewart as this sole sort of, you know, center left. I wouldn't call him left to center. He's a radical mayor. But, you know, there's only one 
candidate on the left and then there's three or four on the right. Well, the vote splitting in that case basically benefits uh, Kennedy Stewart, but you know, they basically snuffed out the idea of there being a candidate for vision and a candidate for the Greens and a candidate for whoever else and splitting the, the vote on the left. And, you know, lo and behold, what are you seeing again this year in Vancouver? No one else has really popped up on the left side of the field. Um, now, what conversations have been had? I don't know. But you can guess that the VDLC is probably also, you know, coordinating that to some extent. What I'd say, John, is the bigger problem and where there's a clear void on the center right is there aren't any ENGOs or third-party organizations operating in this space. Like I said, Lead Now, Dogwood, Sierra Club, a lot of these environmental organizations or so-called environmental organizations raise money often from abroad, right? So Vivian Krauss, her reporting from years ago, basically said, Look at the money. It's coming into these environmental organizations from Saudi Arabian, Saudi Arabian oil and gas companies, American oil and gas companies, and it's going directly into funding environmental protests and uh, manifestations and demonstrations against the pipeline. So you have a clear conflict of interest. People think it's an environmental protest. It's actually backed by oil and gas. So in that vein, you have all these ENGOs collecting massive amounts of data by running their own independent campaigns outside of the rules of elections BC, having lists of tens or hundreds of thousands of people province-wide that they engage with and they connect with to get out and vote for whoever the best you know, left-wing candidate is in that particular area. We are basically ripping that model off, right? It's not a novel concept. It's just like, why has no one been operating in this space for the last two decades in BC? You'd think that there's a lot of money and there's a lot of support and there's a lot of business interest and there's a lot of jobs, frankly, right? 98% of all uh, jobs are, are from, from small business in Canada, right? You'd think that there would be an appetite and strong support financially and otherwise for something like we're doing. And there is, but somehow we're like the first people to try and say, hey, they're doing that over there. Let's do it over here. Yeah, no, it's I, I do completely agree i know there's been i like from my own outside view looking in i had thought someone like the cfib or the canadian taxpayers federation those are the organizations that i would have thought might have taken a more role but they do well, they do good work but it's less of the tactical campaign focused mobilization piece it's more of the advocacy kind of stuff right so we are kind of the first of our kind in that respect awesome so you kind of touched on the federal uh, election focus after the municipal side. Is provincial it's just a little too far off to kind of to, to be thinking about that? Or is that playing a role at all in your in your plans? It certainly is. What I'd say, though, is that it's it's not as clear cut as I'd like for it to be. Um, the provincial landscape is shifting quickly. I'm a, a PC Global supporter. Works for Christie. Um, I've worked on leaderships. Pardon me, I have been a BC Liberal supporter since I moved back west. And unfortunately, I do think that certain things have happened over the last couple of years where the brand and the coalition has moved to left and has become in some ways indistinguishable from some NDP policies. I suspect that there will be a strong comeback for the BC Conservative Party in the next cycle. It's not one that I necessarily think is um, 
I, I think it's well timed. I think it's a good move. I think that um, the, a comeback of the BC Conservative Party will be a good thing for voters in the long run. But that unfortunately does kind of mess up the next cycle, right? If you split the coalition vote, which has always held together with the BC Liberal Party, you know, if that splits now and takes whatever percentage of the BC Liberal vote away, it almost guarantees an NDP government in the next cycle. Now, is that better than holding a broken party together artificially? Or do we get this sort of cathartic uh, reestablishment of these political lanes on the, you know, uh, center, center and center to the right and kind of start from there, right? So that is, to me, uh, it's a ideological debate. It's a sort of a, a moral debate to some degree, like, ah, should I just vote for the BC Liberal Party one more time? Or do I vote with my conscience? And, and I think you're going to see a lot of people struggle with that. Uh, and, you know, in the North Island, uh, we saw that in the Valley, um, up North and in the interior, I certainly think that those, um, those conversations are going to be had. So because of that, you know, I did outline we're focused municipally now, federally next. Um, our allegiances are super clear, um, you know, to Pierre and the Federal Conservative Party after this. Provincially, it's a little more complicated. Um, and, you know, I think it'll be the, the third election. So municipal first, federal maybe in between, and, and then our provincials are in 2024. So we'll take it in stride and go from there. Okay, awesome. Really appreciate the transparency there. Um, I want to jump into a little bit of the role of business one of the things that I have wondered about are, you know, you've talked about why is there not this, why hasn't this group existed before? And I think as a business owner myself, one of the things I've found is that there's just an incredible amount of busyness in having to carve out time for this, uh, for this, this important role that we play in the community. I'm wondering if, if you can speak to what can business owners uh, and leaders do to educate or activate employees, families, friends on just how important it is uh, not only to participate, but also who they should be supporting and how it kind of has this trickle down impact. Absolutely. I'll say a few things there. One, um, I think that the municipal level of politics has been neglected, especially by business owners and people in general. It has the lowest turnout. It always does. But frankly, it has some of the most impactful policymaking on a business's viability. You've got business licensing, you know, you've got a lot of other things that go into that property taxes, you know, some really, really important stuff happens at the municipal level. And for whatever reason, it's basically neglected by free enterprise and pro-business people. It just doesn't matter. So in our work, we hope to kind of activate people to the, you know, to the uh, importance of it as the first and most important uh, and kind of the launch pad in a sense. So there's that. Secondly, in a, in a self-interested way, I'd like to say that we actually have our software, which we're currently using for campaigns to use, which allows them to import lists, engage with those lists, do voter identification, and then mobilization. There is an application, we haven't rolled it out yet, but there is an application where this thing works basically as a CRM, and we would provide it essentially at cost. That's kind of our model is it's, you know, it's, within a market value, so we're not getting in trouble with elections to BC, but it's basically a super cheap CRM. This would actually allow businesses or business associations to use this CRM, manage their memberships or their association lists, and engage with them on these important issues. So you could get people out to your public hearing on um, uh, the, the municipal budget. 
a public hearing on um, any local issue that's important to your business. So this application that we have and are using for campaigns could actually be used for the business community to better organize amongst themselves and really sort of get their membership and their contacts and their clients and their friends engaged and mobilized on certain issues that are important to them as well. Okay, awesome. Well, it makes a ton of sense. Um, as a follow-up to that, have you thought about down the road offering workshops about for business leaders or who are focused on that kind of stuff and kind of what's appropriate in terms of engagement with their stakeholders and all that? Yeah, I actually think that there will be a, a component of that at our training in November. Um, we actually had a training event planned for this August. We originally in June set a training date so that we could train campaigns from all around the region and their volunteers, the candidates, and get them kind of one big training session before the fall. So it was going to be end of August. We decided, though, that we're too busy and that we essentially need to push that back until after the election because we're just we're totally tapped for capacity to, to do the work. And we're just going to wait until afterward and make it more of like a post-mortem, right? Here's where we worked. Here's how we did here are the systems that we put into place. I'd love for there to be a component on that on business. But what's funny is the news from Vancouver Sun articles in a couple of weeks ago, they drove a bunch of people to our website without us really knowing. We still had our original registration link up on our website for the August 27th event, which we never pushed. We never promoted it. We never did anything outward with that link because we kind of decided we were going to just wait and put it off. Well, when these stories ran in the first couple of days, I went and checked the registration. We had like 75 people sign up, basically just through the news, right? And so it's in a sense like market validation for us that like, holy crap, like we didn't even do any work in promoting this thing really. And then boom, as soon as the word was out, everyone wanted to attend. So certainly I think there'll be a business element to that and how you can take grassroots organizer campaign fundamentals, but apply it to businesses and their like basic outreach and engagement processes with clients and other businesses and like-minded individuals to, to, to work on certain issues together. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Appreciate that. Uh, any thoughts on, I know it's been talked about at, from Chambers of Commerce as well, but there used to be a business vote in BC politics. Do you have any thoughts about that? Does that ever play into kind of a mandate a little down the road for you? Yeah. You know, I think the business vote, sort of taken for granted a little bit and it used to be probably like a kind of a, a more tangible voting block i'd say you know 10 years ago or 15 years ago i think that we've gotten lost in the minutiae like all these different sort of boutique policies and the focus unfortunately well for me unfortunately has shifted away from you know business which is honestly one of the most important things so regardless of your political views if we don't have a thriving private economy with businesses that are growing and sustainably, uh, you know, are growing sustainably and, and, and pitching in to our general economy, like not everyone can be a public servant, right? Actually, 90% of all the job growth in the last two years comes from the public sector. It's a scary stat. You know, it's not everyone can work for the government. So we need to have people who are actually really wanting our economy to do well. There is a need for a, you know, a pro-business vote. But I would say it's more than that. It's about like, and this is where Pierre Polyev has actually had such great success. He's talking about getting your freedom back, getting bureaucrats out the way, all of the gatekeepers that stand in the way of job growth, um, of housing uh, supply being added, 
um, you know, all of the various levels of government that essentially just make life harder and worse and more expensive. I think that instead of it being pro-business, it is basically like, let's maximize the freedom and, and, and liberty and the amount of red tape needs to be reduced drastically. And I think that that will sort of resonate better. And it has been clearly with his campaign. So we're kind of echoing that, right? And thinking, absolutely, there's a place for pro-business. Just about how do we tap into that sentiment and get people to really um, understand and you know, vote. Awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, getting to the words of tail end here, just want to give you, if you can give kind of a brief overview of yourself, kind of how you got involved. Uh, you touched on some of the stuff before the interview started, which won't be included. Um, so feel free to say what, you, what you'd like there, just about kind of how you ended up at the was the PPF or the PPN. I'm not sure. Yeah. So on paper, we're the uh, Pacific Prosperity Foundation because we're a non-profit uh, society or a registered society. But for branding purposes, we're the uh, Pacific Prosperity Network. Um, so like all of our you know, systems are PPN, but on paper we're PPF, but yeah, no, I, um, I started my political career in 2010. I worked as a student for Jim Flaherty, our finance minister. Um, from there I got the bug. I worked federally for five and a half years in the Harper administration. You know, we lost government in 2015. I was a realtor for a little bit. So I've worked in business, um, uh, Quite a bit, actually. I, I from there left and worked for Christy Clark provincially, and then after leaving um, the political provincial scene, I started my own consulting company. I did sort of general strategy and, and consultation, but I had a sort of specialization in campaign management. In 2018, I ran a 11 person slate here in Delta, where I live, and we got eight of them elected. And it wasn't because we had like you know, uh, the most amazing campaign, the most amazing platform. In my opinion, it was because we had an amazing team, but we applied campaign fundamentals. It was the first time we ever knocked doors. It was the first time there was ever an actual GOTV, get out the vote strategy. So what I realized then was, if we just did this a little bit more effectively at the municipal level, we could actually compete very successfully with the NDP. And it would be a lot more even on city councils, and I think we'd have a lot better economic results to show for it locally. So, you know, I, from that, went and worked in real estate development in Vancouver for a few years, and then I left again to um, start up my uh, precious metals uh, sales consulting business and do PPN. So PPN's taking up a lot of my time, but I do um, juggle both, so I sell gold and silver. I'm a big believer and big metals investor on that too, but really... Um, you know, I see this as like the time to act if we're going to sort out um, and get sort of common sense and get a hold of our, you know, different levels of government that, you know, hopefully can put people first. And, uh, you know, that sort of brings us to where we are. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I really appreciate that. So we've got these four standard questions we ask each interviewee. And starting off with, do you have a favorite book? And it could be fiction, nonfiction. There's no parameters around what it could be. Yeah, uh, Atlas Shrugged, I'd say, is an all-time favorite. Unfortunately, there are way too many parallels with where society is going now and uh, where it goes in the book. So, you know, read that for the first time 10 or 12 years ago. And unfortunately, it seems to be coming pretty true here. So if you haven't read it, I recommend it. Okay. And th- and that's the, is that the Ein... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I heard the test. I was like, oh, I've seen that one before. Love it. 100 pages, so <laughs> light reading. 
time to throw it on Audible. Yeah. Um, best personal advice that you've received? Yeah, from my grandfather, uh, good thoughts become good things. So kind of like a law of attraction, set your mind and, you know, focus on the positive. And that's usually what manifests. So I'd say that that is a, a big one. So good thoughts brings good things. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, app or piece of software you can't live without, cannot use Microsoft Office Suite or email? Uh, PBN campaign software. Um, and this one, given that you're in Delta, you don't have to have a favorite restaurant on Vancouver Island, but maybe your favorite one in BC. You know what? Anywhere that serves a decent steak, uh, I'm there. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. 